Take your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1. This morning as we continue in the book of Ruth, we're going to pick up in verse 6 and carry through verse 14 this morning as we began last week looking at the story of Ruth. And um, last night, uh, Virginia and I were having a conversation and uh, she said, so we're going to be back in the book of Ruth tomorrow. Please try not to bore us with a history lesson. We want a sermon preached to us. So I'm going to do my best not to bore you this morning with the book of Ruth. It certainly is not a boring book of the Bible. It is God's Word, and there is a lot to learn here. Uh, we pick up in verse 6 this morning. As we uh, looked last week at the, the beginning text in verses 1 through 6, really, with this man named Elimelech. And we saw last week that uh, Ruth, the book of Ruth is named Ruth, but Ruth is not much of a main character in the book. But we know that she uh, is, uh, we have Ruth named Ruth because of how she ends up, because she is an example of faith for us. And we're going to see today just how much she was an example of faith. But bringing us to today's text, we have uh, Elimelech who left the city of, or the town of Bethlehem, uh, an Israelite there living in the promised land, and Bethlehem means house of bread. And there was a famine in the land. Elimelech, we said that names are important in the Old Testament. Elimelech, meaning the Lord is my king, and we saw him failing to live up to his name of trusting God as king when a famine was coming in the land. He's living in the house of bread. He's failing to trust the Lord as his king. We know that sometimes in our life, God allows a famine. Even in the will of God, God will allow a famine to come into your life as a test, not, not, to, um, not to lead you into temptation. God does not tempt us for evil. James is very clear on that. But he's also very clear that God allows trials and tests in our life. Oftentimes, if we're weak in the faith, those trials, those tests come into our life, and what do we do? We step back, don't we? We question God. We wonder, where is God? How could God allow these things to happen in my life? Sometimes those trials are short-lived. Sometimes they're for years. And we see that with Elimelech and Naomi and their family. And instead of pursuing God in the midst of a trial, of a test, they were in the promised land as Israelites. And instead of looking back on the history of how God had led them there and how he had been faithful to provide, they began to run from God. Or Elimelech led his family to run from God and to go to wicked Moab, a place that uh, was full of evil, a place that was known as an enemy of God, a place where they worshiped the wicked God Chemosh, literally would offer child sacrifices to him. And Moab would take, uh, Elimelech would take his family to Moab to settle there, to settle there so much that he allowed his sons to take Moabite wives into their family, Orpah and Ruth. And we're going to see this morning a tale of these two women, Orpah and Ruth, and how they fa they're faced with a decision that would determine the rest of their lives. And it's a decision that you and I are faced with today. It's a decision that is not uncommon to all of us wherever, wherever we are in life today. 
the decision that is faced uh, with, between Orpah and Ruth that they have to give an answer to from Naomi, that decision uh, is one that we all face in life. Am I going to stay in wicked Moab or am I going to go back to the house of bread where I know no matter what, God is going to provide for me? Look with me, beginning in verse 6. The text says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to the mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return to you, to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should have even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. In today's passage, we see a tale of two daughters, Ruth and Orpah, faced with a decision and one that stands before all of us today. Are we going to stay in wicked Moab where there's sin of the world? Are we going to live like the world lives? Are we going to take on the ways of the world? Are we going to become so comfortable in the ungodly culture in which we live and try to do it our own way, try to live to appease ourselves and live like the rest of the world is saying we should live? Are we going to journey to the house of bread and where God provides in the center of God's will, where we know no matter what comes into our life, God is going to be faithful to his people. That's the question that Ruth and Orpah were faced with, and that's the question you and I are faced with today. Though we may be separated by thousands of years in context, the question is still the same today. So let's look into the text and see what's going on exactly with Naomi and these two daughters-in-law. Uh, in verse 6, we find that Naomi has dealt with all the hardship that has been brought to her. She uh, lives in a day where there was no media presence. Their uh, word was perhaps slow to travel, much slower than our day. The Olympics are going on on the other side of the world right now as we speak, but we tune in and we watch. We have the capability because of media today. Word travels like that with social media and media outlets. It does not take long for word to get to you for something that is happening literally on the other side of the world. And this is, was not the case, certainly, with Naomi in, in the day and age in which she was living. Moab was not that far separated from Bethlehem. We saw uh, last week that it was just across the Jordan River, just across the Dead Sea. But yet, it was uh, a journey in that day. When you journeyed by uh, foot, you journeyed by camel or donkey, it was quite a journey. And now Naomi has been here in Moab for a number of years. She's taken on life with these people. 
She has uh, welcomed into her family two Moabite daughters-in-law. And they've learned to love her, to appreciate her. They've all experienced tragedy, not just of the wicked world of Moab in which they were living, but they've experienced tragedy of death. Elimelech has died. Their two sons have died. That these foreign women have joined their life with, and now they're left with just Naomi, their mother-in-law. But Naomi gets word, verse 6 says. She gets word as she's in Moab that the land of uh, that the Lord had visited his people and giving them food. Can I stop right there and say, of course he has. It may take a while from our perspective, but God is always going to bless those who are in his will. Even when you think you're living in a famine, God is sustaining you. God is blessing you. And all that Elimelech could do was look at the famine, look at the situations of life from his perspective. He could not gain an eternal perspective. He could not gain a godly perspective. He could not set his mind on things above in the heat of the moment. And we see with Elimelech, that is so common to us. As we're walking through a famine, as we're walking through a trial, it is so hard to set our mind on things above. To know that God is going to provide when you see no provision around you. To know that God is going to care for you when the diagnosis seems glim and uh, horrible. To know that God is going to deliver his people from a wicked culture when it seems that the day is just growing worse and worse. To know that God is going to protect you when you hear every day of someone else that you love or know dying from a pandemic, to know what that God is going to be faithful in the midst of a very unfaithful world. And in the midst of those times, we're either going to run to God, we're going to get in the center of God's will, which is the safest place to be, uh, to know that God is going to provide and bless, or we're going to step out of the will of God and try to do it our own self. Let's not learn the hard way. We have countless people who have gone before us in the pages of Scripture who have stepped out of the will of God, and they found that God's blessing is not there. Now Naomi is there. She has followed her husband outside of the will of God, and now things in Moab do not look so good. But she gets word that in Bethlehem there is blessing. Why? Because in Bethlehem... That is the promised land. That is part of the land that God led his people to. And God is always going to visit blessing upon those who live in his will. Bethlehem, the house of bread. If Elimelech would have just waited, he would have seen God stock the shelves. (laughs) You may not not believe it can happen in the moment, but if you will just trust in God, wait on God, you will see God move. That's why the Old Testament and the New Testament alike often tells us to wait on God. You know those verses of waiting on God, being still, knowing that He is God. We, we read that just a moment ago from Psalm 46. Wait on the Lord. He will renew your strength. But we find it hard to wait on God, especially in our day. It's been a problem 
ever since human existence, but especially in our day. Why? Because we live in a culture where nobody wants to wait. I mean, everything is instant nowadays. We used to live in a day where if you wanted to watch a movie, you would go to the movie store and rent a VHS. <laughs> Remember what those were? Then came DVDs. And soon after they were out, Blu-rays. <laughs> those are all things of the past. Now what do we have? We have Netflix, we have Hulu, we have Amazon Prime, and on your TV, you get it, you watch it, you don't have to go anywhere, and it's instant. I, I, what often humors me is now our fast food places have made it even faster to get fast food. <laughs> you order before you get there, you pull in a parking lot, and they bring it out to you. You don't have to wait in the long line. I mean, it's fast food, but it's gotten even faster food. <laughs> Because we live in such a culture where we want to be pleased and we want it now, we don't want to wait. We want to order something off Amazon and, Amazon and have it prime where we get it in just a few days. Because we don't like the week to two week shipping that comes. We want it and we want it instant. But the Bible says differently. If we're going to experience the blessing of God, if we're going to understand who God is and we're going to see God work in our life, church, today we have to learn what it means to wait on God, to be still, to know He's God, not to try to step outside of God's will and do it ourselves. because if you do it yourself, you may think you're coasting for a while, but sooner or later you're going to find Moab has nothing to offer. Can I tell you today that the culture of America that is opposed to God and God's Word has nothing to offer you of eternal significance. It's going to leave you uh, wasted, dead, and looking for more in the end. Naomi hears God is visiting His people in Bethlehem. Let me tell you, God has been faithful to His promise. God always will. Sometimes we don't think He will because He doesn't work on our time frame. But let me tell you, I'm glad God doesn't work on my time frame because that would mess it all up. God is eternal. He's sovereign. He doesn't always make sense to you, but He makes eternal sense because He knows what He is doing. God is not bound to bless those who refuse to trust uh, His hand when we need to. Can I tell you this morning, as we see with Naomi, listen to what I say. God will be true to His plan, but not yours. God will be true always to bless His plan, to bless His will. But He's not bound to bless yours. But think of how often we ask God to bless our plans. We make our plans, we live our life, and at the end of the day, we say, Lord, bless me. Lord, put your blessing on this. God, I'm going to make this decision. Lord, would you bless it? And I wonder how many times God is in heaven saying, my dear child, I can't bless that. I can't bless that because that's your decision. You're not following my decision. God is going to bless His will, but He's not going to bless yours. Elimelech, Naomi experienced this the hard way. 
Naomi says, the Lord has visited his people and giving them food. Verse 7, so she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. That word return is offered several times in this passage, and it's a very important word. It's a theological word that you don't need to miss. Because where do we find Naomi? She's followed Elimelech into sin. She's followed uh, Elimelech into uh, Moab, into a place of sin, out of Bethlehem. And now she's hearing God is giving blessing in Bethlehem. God is fulfilling His promise in what is known as the promised land. And she's coming to her senses, or so we think she is, and she's returning You see, when you're living in sin, when you're living in Moab, there is always, as long as God is giving you breath, God is giving you grace to return. And today, if you find yourself not living in the will of God, just asking God to bless your plans, if you're living in sin, if you're not saved, or if you're saved, and yet sin has clouded your life so much that you cannot hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you and walk in the conviction of God, I'm saying to you today, listen to Naomi's example and return to the Lord. It may make sense to you, and it may make no sense to you, but God is asking us to return to Him. Not because He's a selfish God, but because He's a loving God. Because God has your best at heart. Romans 8, 28. For we know God can work all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. It does not say that those who love God, God will bring all good into their life. That is a misinterpretation of that verse. Don't fall for it. It says that God brings all things, even a famine in the land, (laughs) to work together for good of those who love Him and trust Him and stay in His will. So Naomi decides to return. Very important word. Will you return to the Lord today? Will you find yourself, if you're outside the will of God, in the center of God's will? Warren Wiersbe said that Naomi's decision was right but her motive was wrong. She was interested in food, but not fellowship. She was returning to the land, but not necessarily to the Lord. And I think Wiersbe is on to something here by what we see in the following passage. Look with me in verse 8. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead, meaning her husband and two sons, and with me. May the Lord grant that you find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. Naomi has made the call to pack up and go to Bethlehem. Ruth and Orpah, who've joined their lives to this woman, has decided to begin the journey with with her. Then she looks at them, and she gives them awful advice. You may have read that before, and you think, well, that's loving of Naomi to say, why would you come to me? We know in the preceding context, she has nothing to offer them. This is what she says. I'm old. And even if I had two sons, would you wait that long to marry them and to join your lives to them? I have nothing to offer you. So go back to what you know. Go back to your family. Go back to your ancestors. I don't want to burden you anymore. Sounds loving on the surface. But this is awful advice because Naomi is an Israelite. 
She's lived in Moab. She's seen the evil of Moab. And what she's telling these two now family members of hers is, go back to sin. Go back to Moab. Go back to where they serve false gods. Go back to where they do awful things in sacrifice and worship to those gods. Instead of saying, come to me, come with me to the house of the Lord. Come see the blessing of God. Come experience more of the faithfulness of God. Leave sin behind and let's journey together to the Lord. This is how I think we know that Naomi was not really trying to return to the Lord. She just wanted what God could offer. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you, beware in your Christian life not to serve God just for what God can give you, but to serve God for who He is. If God stopped blessing you today, you have salvation, and that's not taken away from you. But if God gave you no more blessings in life, would you still serve Him? Would you still honor Him? Would you still, like Job, refuse to profane the name of God? Don't serve Him for what He can give you. Because I'm going to tell you, if you walk with God long enough, you're going to experience the mountaintops. But if you walk with God long enough, you're also going to experience the valleys. And sometimes those valleys can last longer than the mountaintops. Sometimes those valleys can be year long, the rest of your life. What are you going to do? Are you going to question God? Are you going to say, God, I don't love you anymore. God, I don't serve you anymore. God, how could you do this to me? And you see, when that's our, our, our perspective, then we put ourselves in the center of the universe. And we think that God is bound to bless us. And if God does not bless me, then something's wrong with God. Well, let me tell you. God has already given us more than we deserve in saving us. And the only way we can be saved is not by works. It's not by telling God how thankful we are for His blessings. It's not by coming to church. It's not by praying. The only way we can be saved is returning, turning around from Moab and going to the house of bread. And and in today's context, that is Jesus Christ who died on the cross Uh, was placed in the tomb, was literally, he was dead. He was not just uh, passed out in some coma. He died for our sins. And three days later, he rose from the grave to give you eternal life. And he said, the only way for us to come is knowing that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. There are not, there, there are no multiple ways to God in this life. The gods that they were serving in Moab could do nothing for the Moabites. Naomi should have said, Come, my dear daughters-in-law, let's go to Bethlehem and let me introduce you to Yahweh God who has been faithful to His people. But she gives them awful advice. She directs them to go back. To go back. Instead of leading these girls to God, she points them to stay in wicked Moab. Warren Wiersbe also said, Naomi is ashamed to bring these girls into the promised land because they are living proof. Listen to this. They are living proof that she and her husband had permitted their sons to marry outside of covenant marriage. Now, God is going to redeem this in Ruth because Ruth makes the decision to journey towards God. And we're not saying that just because you're a Moabite, you cannot be saved. Aren't we thankful that Moabites can be saved? (laughs) This is a picture of Gentiles coming to faith. 
The God of the Old Testament is not just a God of the Jews. He's welcoming nations into his family. And of course, Jesus Christ opened the door for all of that. If it were not so, the majority of us today would have no chance because unless we have Jewish ancestry, we would not be welcomed into the family of God. But we know that is not the case. The Bible says that God wishes none to perish, but all should come to what? Repentance. We get that word return. But we've got to turn to Christ. But Naomi perhaps was ashamed because these two daughters-in-law were evidence of her sin. When she journeyed back into Bethlehem, well, there would be talk on the streets. What are these Moabite women doing here? In fact, we're going to see that a little later. Why is Naomi coming with these two foreign women? We don't know exactly what was going through Naomi's mind, but perhaps she was ashamed. They're marks of her sin. Can I tell you something this morning? You can try to hide your sin and cover up your sin all you want. God knows it. And sooner or later, we have to come to grips with it. Sooner or later, we have to come to grips with it. Either we're going to live our life trying to fool everybody and even trying to fool God, whether you theologically believe God knows your sin or not he does you can live your life trying to not come to grips with your sin and just staying in Moab staying in your sin but the Bible says if we're going to live that kind of life then we have to pay for our sin and the payment we have to give is eternal eternal payment separated from God in a place called hell we don't hear about it preached anymore uh, but maybe that's why our world is in such such turmoil God doesn't want that. God don't want you paying for your sin. That's how much He loves you. So He took the payment. His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, was placed in the tomb, rose from the dead. And if we give our life to Him, if we trust in Him, if we bow the knee to Him and live for Him and live in His will, then we have accepted the payment. It is paid in full. God as the righteous judge has passed us over by the blood of Jesus Christ. But sin has to be dealt with. Naomi may be trying to hide her sin, but hiding your sin never cuts it. You can get away with it for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 80 years, but sooner or later when you face eternity, you are going to have to come to grips with your sin. And it only makes spiritual sense to me that we would accept the payment of Jesus Christ, give thanks to Him, and live for Him in this short life so that we could spend eternity with Him forevermore. Verse 10, as we move on, we see... A little bit of a exchange here. They said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? This is where she said, Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, I should have a husband tonight and also bear sons. Would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you refrain from marrying me? No, my daughters. Uh, would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, why, for it is harder for me than for you. Look what Naomi says. This reveals her heart. For the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. 
Naomi is extremely bitter at God. She's extremely bitter at God. Because her husband has led her here to this foreign place. She's experienced nothing but tragedy. It's what sin will do. It'll eat away at your life. It's a slow fade. Oftentimes we don't know it. That's the work of the enemy. And Naomi has now hit rock bottom, and she's extremely bitter. She's not saying, I've sinned, I've messed up, I've wronged God. Naomi's pointing the the finger at God, and she's saying, God's hand has left me. God has removed his favor from me. God is not blessing me anymore. I told you last week that names were important, meanings of names were important. You remember what Naomi's name means? It means pleasantness. The beginning of chapter 1, Naomi means pleasant. We'll get here next week, but look with me in verse 20 of uh, verse 1. She said to them, this is after she gets back in Bethlehem, Do not call me Naomi, Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. You know what Mara means in the Hebrew? It means bitter. Naomi's saying, change my name. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter because that's who I am. God has dealt awfully with me. It's God's fault. God has left me. He's taken my husband from me. He's taken my sons from me. He's left me in a foreign, wicked land. Instead of saying, we sinned, we messed up, we got there. Now, God, would you please return to me? All Naomi can do is point her finger at God and say, how dare God act this way to me? Can I say that in life, if you do not approach God with a proper perspective as you encounter the situations of life life has a way of making you extremely extremely bitter and there are people left and right in the church today who are just downright bitter they're bitter at God they may not say that like Naomi did but you can see it they're bitter at God they're bitter at the church they may come they may worship but they're bitter at the church they're bitter at other people Not because anybody has really done anything to them. They're just a bitter person. Because they've chosen not to look to God. They've chosen to look at their circumstances. And instead of seeing God work in these ways and God lead them to His grace and His mercy, all they can do is sit and pout and say, How bitter am I? How poor, pitiful am I? And I'm not trying to negate or lessen the circumstances of life at all. Life is hard. Life is difficult. But you have the choice of how you're going to approach those situations. Are you going to go to God? Are you going to see God's blessing? Are you going to see God's hand? Are you going to see God's provision? And trust God day by day, just again, like Job, who experienced the most difficult situations of life, and he cried out to God. Job even told God he didn't understand. It's okay. God's shoulders are big. He can handle it. You can tell God you don't understand. You can ask God, what are you doing? But don't let life make you bitter. And please, if you're a bitter person, don't try to advise anybody else. Don't try to tell anybody else what they should do. As long as you're bitter. Don't try to live anybody else's life. Don't try to tell them the decisions they should make. That's what Naomi's doing. 
She's bitter, and yet she's telling her two daughters-in-law, go back to Moab. Are you even in your right mind, Naomi? Don't try to uh, advise anyone as long as you're going to sit in your bitterness. Let God meet you there. Heal that. God does not want you living life bitterly. I don't even know if that's a word. (laughs) He wants you living life in His blessing. And God can take the difficult situations of life and... um, He can bring blessing from it. You see, Naomi is trying to approach God and these two daughters-in-law by making logical sense. Well, sometimes can I tell you that God works beyond our logic? It doesn't matter how smart we are. It doesn't matter how many degrees we have. It doesn't matter how accomplished we are in life. God's still above us. And sometimes the best human logic makes no sense to what God is doing. We must trust His Word. Instead of pointing to God's grace, all Naomi can do is point to her bitterness, and she's just bringing others into her bitterness. She's pointing the finger at God. This is where Naomi is. Don't live in bitterness. Go to God. Deal with your sins. Repent. Return, and let it be behind you. Pursue God. Pursue His blessings. Verse 14 says, And they lifted up their voices. And they wept again. There's a lot of crying going on here. I want you to see that. I don't want you to miss that because it's going to be important as we draw to a close. A lot of emotions are being shed. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. What are they going to do? You can either remain bitter in your sin, talk about how wronged you are by other people, how other people have wronged you, how God has wronged you, how people don't understand you. Or you can come to God and live in the joy and the peace in the presence of God. The choice is yours. But let me tell you something. On the final day, God's not going to be blamed for your mistakes because He makes none. Are you bitter today? Have you allowed your situations, maybe even the consequences of your own sin, to make you bitter? God doesn't want us walking in bitterness. He wants us to come back to Him. He wants us to repent. And He wants us to live every day walking in the joy. Notice I said joy, not happiness. Some of you today are hurting. Life is difficult. You're worried. It's not happy things you're going through. And that's understandable. But you still, the Bible says, we still can have the joy of the Lord. That doesn't mean I always have a smile on my face and say everything's going great. It means I say God is good no matter what. Joy is dependent on God, not my happiness. It's not the same as happiness. Never confuse it. But only when you come back to God in repentance will you find mercy and grace and the joy of the Lord. So what are you going to do today? What did Ruth and Orpah do? They're faced with a decision. I told you, you and I are faced with the same decision. Well, verse 14 tells the story. They lifted up their voices and they wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Will you stay in wicked Moab, live in your sin, go along with the world? Sooner or later, find yourself bitter, worn out, used and abused, with nothing but empty promises. Or will you travel to the house of bread, the place where God always provides, the place where there's salvation, 
and overflowing joy, even when life doesn't make sense. Ruth and Orpah, faced with the same decision, but two very different choices they make. Orpah and Ruth both weep. But let me tell you something. It's not the weeping that matters. It's the clinging that matters. So many times in the Christian life, we rest on an emotional experience. How do you know you're saved? Well, I remember it was a very emotional time. I was moved. Tears were shed. Let me tell you something. You can shed all the tears you want and walk outside the doors of the church and deny God by your actions. It's not the weeping that matters that makes a difference. It's the clinging that matters. Orpha goes back to Moab, and we never hear her name again. Ruth stays, despite Naomi's bitterness and horrible advice to her. Ruth stays, and she is commended to this very day as a godly woman, even among the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ where not many made it into. Matthew chapter 1, you can read it. Orpah had all the emotions. On the outside, it would look like she was getting it. She was having a spiritual experience. Orpah was not far from the kingdom of God, we could say. But she missed it altogether. Because it's not the emotions that matter, it's the clinging that matters. Ruth clung to her. There's a reason the Bible uses that word, because if you are going to be found faithful on the day of judgment, you can't just have an emotional, spiritual experience. You can't just come to church and worship on Sunday and have a good spiritual experience. You have got to cling to God. You've got to cling to Him when you're with Him on the mountaintop. But brothers and sisters, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you've got to cling tighter to Him than you've ever clung before. You can't just shed the tears. You can't just pray empty prayers. You can't just come and sing songs. You can't just listen to sermons or podcasts or watch Bible uh, studies. All those things are good, but emotional experiences will not cut it in the kingdom of God. You can be so spiritual in church and to Jesus Christ and yet walk right out of his presence and displease him by the life you live. It's not the weeping that matters. It's the clinging to God that makes the difference. So what choice are you going to make today? We can cowardly stay in Moab. And I think you know by Moab, I mean our sin. Or you can courageously trust God who's faithful in the house of bread. One makes sense to you. Because oftentimes in Moab, I'm in charge. I make the decisions. I call the shots. That's the way human nature wants it. And yet, when we decide to come to Bethlehem, the will of God, the presence of God, well, that requires faith. And those of you who are closely walking with God know most often your life is about faith when it makes no sense at all. But the writer of Hebrews says that without faith it is impossible, not just difficult, but impossible to please God. You can't please God if you're not living in faith. Meaning, faith really begins where our ability ends. Letting God do what only God can do in your life.
So what decision are you going to make today? Are you going to be like Orpah and have all the emotional experiences? Maybe you've had a lifetime of them. Are you going to be like Ruth? Are you going to cling to God no matter what? In the abundance of blessing that I can count, in the poverty of life, trials and tribulations where I know nowhere else to turn. Am I going to cling to God? You see, that's what salvation is. It's not just saying a prayer. It's not just walking an aisle. It's not just being baptized. It's not just having your name on a church roll. It is clinging to Jesus Christ no matter what comes your way. I want you to think with me for a moment that you knew you had only three years of life left. You knew three years and that was it on this earth. Get that from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had, he lived his life, he matured, but we know he had three good years of faithful ministry on earth. Just think from this point forward, what if you knew you only had three years left? And the, the sobering reality is that for some of us, that may be the case. In a crowd this size, those watching online, we don't know what the next day holds, much less the next three years. Some of you, life may be three years. Some of you, it may be less. Some of you, more. We don't know. We certainly don't like to think about that. But what if you knew that you had three years left on this earth? How would you spend them as a Christian? Or maybe as someone who's on the verge? Would you trust God? Would you cling to Him? Would you come to Him? Would you make sure that you know that your salvation is real and that you're going to give your all to please God? Or would you keep living in Moab? for yourself the easy way going along with the world but living under the judgment of God you see no matter whether we have 3 years 20 years, 30 years 50 years left on this earth we're all facing the day where we're going to stand before God and Paul says in Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will one day confess that he's Lord that doesn't just mean Christians okay there's a Greek word there, panta, in Philippians. And that word is translated all, every, everybody. That means everybody on the face of the planet. One day when we stand before God, whether it's today, next year, 50 years from now, when we stand before God, everybody's going to meet God, and everybody's going to bow the knee and confess His Lordship, but for many it will be too late. They will declare He's Lord, and He will declare, depart from me. Why? Because what you do in this life matters. What decision are you going to make today? Are you going to be like Ruth? Cling to God? Or are you going to be like Orpah? And take the advice of the world and go back. Maybe you're here today and you know you're not saved or you question whether your salvation is real. Please don't put it off. Please. I don't have to tell you that we live in a world where age is not a promise of life. Come to God. He's waiting on you. 
In the house of bread, there is plenty. It will never run out. His goodness will never end. Maybe you're as a Christian and you've been, you're saved and you know you're saved. You're a child of God, but you've been a child living in disobedience like Naomi was. God did not bless her disobedience. He blessed those living in Bethlehem, but he not, would not bless his disobedient child. You will not find the blessed hand of God until you return to him. He's not going to bless your will, but he's going to bless his. Maybe today there's not uh, known sin in your life. You live every day seeking to confess that and repent of that, and that's the only way we can live right with God. But I wonder if today we would just come and pray for our world, for faith as believers, that we would see a generation of Ruth's spring forth in the church who cling closer to God than maybe even history has ever seen Christians cling to God. Because let me tell you something, the world is getting more vile day by day. And Christians, I believe that this is a time in our culture, like it's never been in American culture before, where God is separating true believers from those who are just playing the game. I honestly believe that. I believe that's why he's allowing us to go through what we're going through is because we're either going to stand with him, we're going to cling to him, or we're going to reveal that we're just playing the game and we could care less about God. Which side are you going to be on? This is a time where we respond to the Lord. But let's not rush it. Because this is perhaps the most important time we will have today. How will you respond to God? Are you going to be a Ruth? Or are you going to be an Orpah? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for being a trustworthy, faithful God. Lord, as we come before you in this time, God, we ask that you just move our hearts. As you've spoken to us through your word, not through anything I could offer, but by being faithful to your word, Holy Spirit, would you show us decisions that we need to make today? That if we knew the exact hour our time on, on this life was up, God, it would change the decisions we make. God, if it would change the decisions we make, then that tells us what decisions we need to make today because none of us know. Lord, meet with us here. May we bow before you. May we give you our cares, our concerns. May we trust you for salvation. May we plead on behalf of those who don't know you. Lord, if you were to come back today or if they were to exit this life today, it would be a tragic reality. We don't want that. Lord, speak to our hearts and move us to where you are. And we ask it all by the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.